team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. We got a fun show planned for today, despite the fact that the Hamilton Tiger Cats are no longer playing football in 2023. But we're going to find a way to have a little fun here, put a bow on the 2023 Cats season. And what I think will be, at least I, I, I haven't really talked to you about this, but I think this is going to be our new yearly tradition, Mike. I think at the end of the year, we'll do our Cats wrap-up show and we will turn the keys over to our listeners, and we're going to spend most of today answering the questions that they want answered. What do you think? I think that's kind of a fun way to kind of wrap things up. I, I had the epiphany, as you know, when I sent you the text, like, hey, let's. I think this is how we should kind of wrap up the year. I think it's a pretty good idea. I figure we could do this every year. I mean, it takes the it takes the pressure off our plate to come up with something to talk about, mm-hmm. especially given that we did the live show and kind of exhausted all the the talking points from the game. I like doing this. I, I think answering questions is fun. It means we have to do less work to prepare for the show, but I also think that it feels more interactive. What do you think? This should be the new, the year end kind of uh, Q&A, ask us anything, what have you type show. I think th- I think this should be what we do going forward. What say you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice way to put a bow on the season. And uh, we are, uh, you know, a tie cat podcast by the fans for the fans. So it, it works out nicely. And you said Bo, and not to be too pun specific, but speaking of Bo, before we get to all of the fun question stuff, we do have to talk about something that we were unable to talk about on our post-game show on Saturday because it was happening at the time we were recording our post-game show. So if you want to hear our thoughts on what happened in the game, I don't know if you're listening to this and you're a Thai Cat fan why you would, but that's available in our archives. You can go find that. But we're talking here about the comments made by none other than Mr. Bo Levi Mitchell after the game. Speaking with TSN, Bo, who, I don't know about you, but he clearly looked frustrated to me, said that he did not expect to be back with the Ticats next season, saying... If you're not playing your highest paid player on the team in a playoff game, I don't foresee myself probably being here. In his end of season press conference on Monday, Ticats head coach Orlando Steinhauer commented on Bo's comments saying, Bo's a Ticat right now. He's under contract. The way things worked out this year, it wasn't ideal for anybody, including Bo. From the injuries to coming back to another injury to the East semifinal, it didn't turn out how we envisioned it. It was far from that, but we didn't sign Bo to a one-year deal. Bo's a tie cat, and that's what it is right now. So quite a bit to unpack here, Mike, but let's start with the comments themselves. What did you make of Bo, what Bo had to say, and then what did you make of Steinhauer's response? 
Well, Bo is obviously frustrated at the situation. You know, he wanted a fresh start in Hamilton, and obviously it didn't work out that way. But I don't know if you look into it too much, just because it was so fresh. You know, it's a second year in a row where Bo Levi Mitchell has been asked to come into the game in the playoffs, where the game was already in hand. He was asked to do a miracle, and he couldn't do it in Calgary, and he couldn't do it in Hamilton. And it's obviously not his fault. He was brought in way too late. But Bo Levi Mitchell is obviously frustrated. He's been the guy in the CFL basically since he started, um, since he got into the league. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough situation f- for Bo. Obviously, a guy who's been the leader of teams for many many years now, and it's just this this team has a way of pissing off quarterbacks, don't they? So uh, I completely understand how Bo feels. I mean, he was supposed to be the guy. He was healthy enough to play, and they chose not to play him. And what about Steinhauer's response? What do you what do you make of that? Is that just coach speak? Yeah, I don't I don't give a shit what he says in public ever. Like I don't. It's just it's just nonsense. It's 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 coach speak. He's never truthful about anything. So he said similar things about Dane last year, and Dane was gone. So I, I don't take that's what I was that's what I was going to say. It it reminded me a lot about his comments about Dane Evans last year after they traded for and then extended Bo. His direct quote, I looked it up, was Dana's, Dane's under contract with us right now. Dane's a Hamilton Tiger Cat. And what he said is, Bo's a Tiger Cat, and that's what it is right now. A lot of people seem to think this is heading towards a pretty ugly divorce. I don't necessarily know if that's the case. Um, I'm with you, though, like Steinhauer says what Steinhauer says. It's funny, if you watch the rest of that press conference, there's a lot of good stuff in there. If you haven't watched, it's about 20 minutes long. There's some interesting things about like kind of defining success and what a good year is and all that stuff. And it was kind of really enlightening to see him talk maybe more candidly and openly now that the season's over. Again, I don't know how much of it you you buy, but he clearly showed that he still has a passion for the job. He clearly showed that he still has a passion for being the head coach and the president of this team. So like that's good, I guess. Um, with Bo, it was... I mean, I wrote a piece about it for three down kind of touching on what he said and giving a little bit of opinions here and there, but it was more of a news piece and an opinion piece. I mean, I don't blame him if he, he thought he was coming here. He thought he was going to be the man and it'd be one thing for me. I think if it was, if, if he gets hurt and then Matt Schultz gets hurt and then Taylor Powell takes off, And I kind of liken it to the situation with Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers in that you have a guy you brought in, the Niners had it in Trey Lance, the Ticats had it in Bo. You have this guy that you invested heavily in. You think he's going to be the guy that's going to lead you to the promised land, but then injuries force your hand and then you find another guy. The thing is, is as well as I think Taylor Powell played, I don't think they found another guy necessarily. Like maybe he can be a guy. Mm-hmm. But maybe he can't. We saw ups and downs. We saw some good things and we saw some really bad things. We don't know what the situation is going to be with Taylor Powell going forward. Maybe he can be a starter in this league. Maybe he can't be. Who knows? Bo came in here. It was fanfare. I proclaimed it as the biggest trade this team had made in a quarter century since they acquired Danny McManus. And it just didn't work. It was a disaster from the beginning. Even when he was healthy, and you can't tell me at the start of this season that he wasn't healthy. He got hurt in that Argos game. Before that, he was perfectly fine, and it was just bad football, Mike. Like, he finishes the year with six touchdowns, 10 picks, 
threw a pick in the playoff game. Not a big deal in that situation. I don't really care at that point. I don't know if this is like it feels like it can be salvageable. These are these are grown up. This is a profession. These guys know how the game goes. What do you make of like if this team like let's say they bring Bo back, they bring Schultz back even, and Taylor Powell is still under contract. I don't think he's going anywhere. What do you think the fan reaction would be if if they rolled back with this trio after what we saw this year? Do you think it would be acceptable or do you think it would be it would piss people off? Like I'll just be frank. Like what do you think? I think there'd be a mixed bag. Um, I see people that are in favor of bringing Bo back. I, I see people who are in favor of letting Taylor Powell take the reins. Does that I, I feel crazy to you? Yes. Because it feels it that feels a little crazy to me just because if you give, in my opinion, if you don't re-sign Matthew Schultz, he's a free agent. If you release or trade Bo and you just say, here's the keys to the car, Taylor Powell. This is the fan base that key, every offseason we go through this. And I, I've when when we posted this in like the questions that we're going to answer in our in our on our Twitter feed, a lot of the questions were about the quarterback. And I think we're kind of answering them here. But we've seen it all year. You've seen it personally. We've seen it on the on our on our show's page. I've seen it obviously in covering the team. A lot of anger over this team not winning a championship. I'm telling you right now, I don't care how good you think Taylor Powell is. He's not leading this team to a Grey Cup next year. And I know, like, oh, look what Nathan Rourke did and look what Chad Kelly did. Nathan Rourke played high-level D1 football and was kind of a unicorn. Chad Kelly is 30 and played at in the SEC. Like, Taylor Powell is a smart guy. I like Taylor Powell as a quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I think the kid showed something this year. We said it numerous times. I think he has a future in this league. But I don't think there's any way that you can say that this team is going to win a championship with him as the number one quarterback. And all we hear all the time is if they don't win the championship, it doesn't matter. So you can't tell me that you're in favor of Taylor Powell. So I'm not saying, I don't mean you, I mean the, the general you, Mike, you can't say you're in favor of Taylor Powell being the starting quarterback. And in the same breath saying it's great cup or bust. Like those two things are, are not, you, you can't have both those things at once. Either you're cool with this team kind of tearing things down a little bit and maybe taking a couple of years to build back up behind Taylor Powell or you want them to airlift in another veteran quarterback or you want them to stick with Bo and load up again. Like it's one or the other. It can't be both. Yeah. And it's definitely a, a huge risk if they were going into the season with Taylor Powell as a starter. I think it's, you know, lots of quarterbacks have shown flashes in one year mm-hmm. in their rookie season. I mean, even a guy like Trey Ford at Edmonton, it's a risk having him as your starting quarterback next year because he hasn't shown he can pass the ball at an effective level. Taylor Powell is also a risk. Um, I was a big Schultz guy until that playoff game. And then I'm like, wow, like that was his chance to shine and he didn't take it. So the, the, the QB situation in Hamilton is a really tough one. They put themselves in a really bad situation because like, I don't know what how Bo's feeling. If they lose Bo, then they go with Taylor Powell, and Taylor Powell's an unproven commodity. Um, I don't think Schiltz will be back after that performance in the playoff. Maybe he comes back and accepts that he's a he's a backup quarterback, and uh, because I, I'm pretty sure they signed him to a pretty decent backup quarterback contract last year. Maybe he takes less, but I doubt it. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of questions to be asked in the offseason for this. Um, coaching staff for the for the head office all that stuff because 
if we go into the next season and the quarterback position is a big question mark, it's going to be, it's going to get ugly quick. So I was going to ask you a question, but I, well, you know, I'm going to tag back up on that. What does this team have to do to make the quarterback position? Not a question mark. Like, because if, even if, even if they run it back, you're still going to have quite like, can Bo stay healthy? Yeah. Yep. Can, can Schultz, can Schultz put it together for more than a game at a time? Is Taylor Powell ready? Like if they run this back and if they go and make a change, well, who's the change? Ooh. And we're going to get Ooh. to that in a second. So I don't necessarily need you to answer that question because that's my next question that I got kind of teed up for us here. Kind of what could come if this is, if this all goes south, but if they just, if they run things back, we're still going to be sitting here in this with the same questions because we kind of gave Bo the benefit of the doubt going into this season with, yeah, I know he's been he's been injured, and I, not everyone did. I was willing to do it. Maybe you were as well, but maybe less so than I was. But I was thinking, okay, mm-hmm. he didn't play a ton last year. Maybe this is the first time he's going to have been healthy since he had that shoulder surgery way back in the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Maybe okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll I'm willing to give this a shot. And then he couldn't stay healthy again. So it's like the questions of whether he can play a full season is going to be there. So. Yeah. Is there anything if this team runs it back, the, the question marks are still going to be at wake. We're still going to be yep. wondering in May if this team's going to have these guys at the end of the year. Are we not? Yeah, absolutely. And we don't know with Bo. Like we don't know if his shoulder is is perfectly fine now, and if he had a full season, he would perform at a high level. Like we just didn't see enough of him to know that he can be that quarterback again. So you're right. Either way, if Bo comes back, it's going to be a big question mark. Can he stay healthy? Can he be the Bo Levi Mitchell of years past? Uh, so, yeah, it's a very, very interesting situation. Probably, I, I'd say the Hamilton Tiger Cats are the most interesting team going into the offseason because there's so many question marks. I think so, too. So now I'm going to ask you the question that I was going to ask you before we want to talk about that. What do you think the future is for Bo Levi Mitchell and Hamilton? Do you foresee him being back next year? If not, where do you see him playing if you see him playing at all? And then the, maybe the most important question, who out there do you replace him with? So maybe answer those, like instead of trying to answer them all at once, maybe we go through them one by one. So, uh, so what do you think the future is? Is he back in Hamilton next year, in your opinion? What do you think? I think he is. Uh, I believe he signed a three-year contract, probably two yep. years and an option. I think they bring him back for that second year just because we, like I just said, we didn't see a full season with him. We didn't see what he is capable of if he has the team behind him for, you know, a stretch of games. So I think he will be back next year, partially because, well, and I, I don't really know all the free agents that are coming up, but I don't think any, you know, solid quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks that have proven themselves in this league are going to be available. So I, I'm going to say he's, he'll probably be back with the black and gold. All right. So then obviously the, if not, then where do you see him playing? It doesn't, but if not, uh, maybe they could, (laughs) I don't know. I know that Saskatchewan was pretty horny for him last year. So maybe they could trade him and get something for him. But I, I doubt it. Not in the CFL. Like you can't, you just don't get assets back for, for quarterbacks in this league. So that's probably not an option either. And then, I know you just said you don't really know who's available, yada, 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 and that that's understandable. Any names that you got to replace them? Like, if they were to move on, like, who who would be at the top of your list or who would you even think could be a possibility? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, if we could we could go through the quarterback situations in the league right now, I know that Chad Kelly's locked up. He's not going anywhere. 
Um, okay, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that because that's mm-hmm. – so I – as I said in our live show, I like to go for long walks every day. And I did the same thing today, and I, this is what I was thinking of as I was listening to my music. And I kind of went through all the quarterback situations across the league. And I came to the opinion that I don't think there's a landing spot for him if he wants to leave Hamilton. So do you, I, I'll go through them, I'll go through them individually for you, and you can kind of give me your your thoughts. So I eliminated five teams right off the bat. BC, Winnipeg, Calgary, Toronto, and Montreal are not going to go after him. BC, Winnipeg, Toronto, Montreal for the obvious reasons. BC has Vernon Adams. Winnipeg has uh, Zach Kolaris. Toronto just signed Chad Kelly to a three-year contract extension that makes him the highest-paid player in the league. And Montreal has got to be happy. Yeah, unless he, somehow he gets Chad gets an NFL deal, and maybe okay. they'll be interested in both then. But, yeah. Fair. I, I don't see that happening. He's 30 years no, old. He's had he's his NFL record. But I, I understand what you're saying. So, so yeah, there were some doomsday – not doomsday scenarios, but, like, chaos scenarios that I also came up with doing this as well. Um, And then Montreal, they got to be happy with what they got out of Cody Fajardo this year. I know the numbers weren't mm-hmm. great, but that team won 11 games for the first time in over a decade. And they're back – they won a playoff game. They're back in the East Final. I can't see them moving on. And Calgary is obviously not going back to Calgary. Like, that's, like, for obvious reasons not going there. Saskatchewan, okay. Now, now there's three teams left here. Riders, Ottawa Red Blacks, Edmonton Elks. Ottawa and Saskatchewan, to me, are kind of in the same boat. Okay, so you trade for Bo. That means you're trading Hamilton, your quarterback, and that would either be Jeremiah Mazzoli or Trevor Harris. Both teams are just going to be in the same position – you're getting an older, injury-prone quarterback, and Hamilton would be getting the worst of it because they'd either be getting a 38-year-old Trevor Harris or a 35-year-old Jeremiah Mazzoli. At least Bo's 33. You know what I mean? Like, so why would any of those teams? And I know I joke, semi-joked about like trade him to Ottawa for Mazzoli. Who says no? But when you think about it more, it's like that's just my problem for your problem. I don't necessarily think that solves it. Now Edmonton's the interesting one. Because you think that they're settled with a young guy in Trey Ford, right? But at the same time, this upcoming season's got to be a make-or-break one for Chris Jones and that staff. They take a flyer and say, okay, we have to win. Because they don't have to win a Grey Cup, but they have to at least make the playoffs next year, I think, for then everyone to come back for 2025. Do they go, I don't know if I want to hook my horns or you know, hitch my saddle, I guess would be a better metaphor to use, to Trey Ford? Maybe Will Gamble? on Bo being healthy, like what's the landing spot for him if he decides, and and I don't know if he'd do this, but but if Bo decides that he, I don't want to be here, get me out of here. There's not a, there's there's no team out there, in my opinion, that would automatically make, he'd be an upgrade for. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he'd be an upgrade over Dustin Crum. Yes, he's an upgrade over Jake Dolagala, but those guys aren't the presumed starters in those towns. And then Edmonton is the kind of the wild card where you're like, maybe they'd make the move. But then in that situation, if I'm the Ticats and we're, we're getting rid of Bo to send him to Edmonton for a quarterback, you're asking for Trey Ford. And now you're kind of in that scenario where, okay, you got Trey Ford, Taylor Powell. Maybe maybe a, maybe Trey Ford getting traded to Hamilton would allow the Ticats to kind of purge themselves of some of the higher priced veterans and start a, a mini rebuild. But – it, do you disagree with kind of any of the scenario? Like, where's where's the obvious landing point for him if he kind of forces this situation? And then after you answer that, I'll get into kind of the tie cats options because they're it's I don't know I don't think there's a whole heck of a lot for them here either. But I want to hear what you say about where, where Bo might land if he decides to force the issue here. My prediction, if I had to 
choose between those three teams would be Saskatchewan. I just think that, yeah, they have Trevor Harris, but he's 38 years old and he got injured last season. You bring in Bo, you have five years. um, He's five years younger. Uh, I know that they wanted him last year. It didn't work out. I could see Bo wanting to go there as well, you know, to, to a strong franchise fan base like that you know you know he says it's kind of like texas there and blah 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 but um the, all those scenarios though are kind of far-fetched like i i'm i'm kind of with you i just don't know if um any of those scenarios make any sense whatsoever but if i had to choose i'd probably say saskatchewan and then in second place probably edmonton because you just don't, you don't know what chris jones is ever thinking like it, it is does he have confidence to trade forward i don't know um, does he believe he's a legit starting quarterback? Who knows? So, um, Saskatchewan first, and then I go, uh, Edmonton second. And okay. So they make, let, let, let's play this out. They make the deal with Saskatchewan. They trade Bo there. Do the time. And maybe they don't Trevor even Harris trade Trevor Harris to Hamilton. Like I wouldn't want Trevor Harris, like as my starting quarterback going forward with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, probably turning 39 next year. Like maybe we could you know, trade for some draft picks. Like there's never any really compensation. I mean, Ricky Ray was traded for a kicker and a bag of balls. I mean, there's just yeah. in his prime. And so but then you Ver, trade but him then away, Ver you're Adams not going to. for two first round picks. Johnny Manziel went for two first round picks. So I don't ever understand no, how trades work in football, to be honest with you. But the thing is, like, even if, if it was like, okay, you, we'll take ball off your hands, you take Harris, and then Ticats get a little less in salary. But why would the Ticats want Trevor Harris? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, the, the whole the whole thing in looking at the Ottawa and Saskatchewan scenarios is, like I said, you're trading your problem for their problem, but it's the same problem. It's an older quarterback who gets hurt. So it's it doesn't solve the issue of what is at hand for the right. Ticats here if they run, run it back with Bo. So it makes more sense to me to then hire an offensive coordinator who's maybe familiar with Bo, who maybe Bo can work with. You tailor the offense him. Like, that makes more sense to me than airlifting in another yeah. veteran quarterback who's just as injury prone. And that gives me to, takes me to the Ticat side of things, and I looked at it from there, and I was like, okay, so they get rid of Bo through whatever means. They cut him, they trade him, what have you. So then what are the options there? And obviously the in-house ones are they go with Taylor Powell or they re-sign Matthew Schilt, but I don't think those are legitimate options, honestly. Then you have... Do they trade for Harris or Mazzoli? We already kind of discussed that. Do they sign one of, like, do you go and get Mason Fine or Jake Dolagal or Nick Arbuckle? That's not going to appease the fan base. The big one that everyone's talking about is Drew Brown, the backup in Winnipeg. He's a free agent. He's shown enough that he could be a starter. Kind of that's kind of where Zach Kolaros was when he came to Hamilton. But are we sure Drew Brown's even that good? He's looked great in a couple of starts in Winnipeg, but you know what? Nick Arbuckle looked awesome when he was with the Stampeders and that petered out quickly. Once he became a starter, Drew Brown has less experience than that. We've seen him in a handful of games and he's looked really good. I don't know if I'm ready to hand the keys over to him. If I'm the tie cats. And if you do, it's kind of a similar scenario to me. If you sign Drew Brown, you might as well just roll with Taylor Powell because maybe yep. the resume is not as, as large. Although I think Taylor Powell probably started actually, I won't say probably, I know for a fact, Taylor Powell started more games in this league than Drew Brown. So you have more experience. He's more familiar with what he's seen than Brown is. To me, you roll with Taylor Powell, then then you go and you sign Drew Brown to a $350,000, $400,000 contract because you're, you're still getting the same developmental player. And I don't think Drew Brown is the next Zach Caleros, in my opinion. The chaos scenarios that I laid out is Nathan Rourke. What if Nathan Rourke comes back? He's an Oakville kid. You can sign him 
in Hamilton. Now, that would cost you a lot of money. I don't see that happening. McLeod Bethel Thompson could be an option. Again, I'm kind of just throwing out even these are wild scenarios. But then the other one with Rourke is what if he comes back, but then he goes to BC, then that opens the kind of the dominoes to fall with where does Vernon Adams go? And then you, you kind of go from there, right? We know Dane Evans isn't an option. Like you look at the backup backup quarterback situations around the league and in Montreal, it's Caleb Evans. We know he can't be a starter in Toronto. It's laughable. There's no one there. like we went into this season. One of the reasons I was so not concerned, but one of the reasons I was skeptical about the Argos is if Chad Kelly flopped, they were screwed. They had no depth behind him. And sure, Cameron Dukes, those guys have come in and they've looked all right. But the Argos are a good team. Kelly's obviously been amazing. So it's worked out for them. Ottawa, it's Mazzoli or it's Crum. Like, okay, wh- whatever. Winnipeg, it's Brown. Saskatchewan, both those guys I mentioned already find Dola Galler free agents. Edmonton, it's Cornelius. You're not trading for that contract. Calgary, it's Tommy Stevens, has shown nothing other than being the next Quentin Porter. BC is Dane. He's not coming. And then, like, th- there just isn't – there. there's no backup quarterback worth going out and getting except if it's Drew Brown. And even that, there's so many questions there. So it's like – like I said, for both of these teams, for both the team and the player and Bo, I don't necessarily think that there's a winnable situation. Like, there's, there's – I don't think there's a move for Bo that makes him a starter, guaranteed. Saskatchewan, perhaps. But, again, they already have Trevor Harris. Who knows? And for the Ticats, there's no guy that you go, that's the guy that we can replace Bo with, and we know he's going to be great. You know what I mean? Like, when they moved on from Henry Burris to take Zach Claros, it was a huge gamble. But that was a gamble that the team had made after they surprised everyone by winning 10 games. It was Ken, after Ken Austin's first year. They made the Grey Cup. You could kind of play with stuff then. You know what I mean? Like, you, Ken Austin got a lot of, lot of rope because they went to the Grey Cup that year. Even though they got blasted in that game, it was like... They went from 6-12 and 12 to East Division champions in the first Grey Cup appearance in 15 years. I don't think that this staff has that cachet anymore. Yes, the 15-3 season was great. The Grey Cup runs were great. But we've now seen this team go under 500 two years in a row. We've now seen this team get bounced out of the first round of the playoffs two years in a row. They haven't hosted a playoff game since 2021. I don't necessarily think that these guys have a wait-and-see approach available to them. It's got to be a we-have-to-remain-competitive approach, in my opinion. There's no options out there for the team other than the chaos ones. Like if, if, okay, if they get rid of, if, if they sign Nathan Rourke, then all bets are off, but that's not going to happen. So like, what's the option for the team if they decide to move on from Bo? If this isn't a salvageable situation, if they can't reconcile this, it's kind of barren out there, buddy. Like, I don't know what they do. I don't know either. And I'm wary about signing backup quarterbacks that look good in really good situations for example mm-hmm. like you nick arbuckle looked good in calgary because calgary was a very good team with a very good coaching staff and then he left calgary and he's been the shits ever since the same thing could happen to drew brown drew brown is in the with the winnipeg blue bombers a phenomenal team they've been you know top of the league for many years now is it a case of the team making him look good and not vice versa so it's a, it's a huge risk and you know maybe it's time to roll with, I know that we did this with Dane Evans and it didn't work out, but roll with a young guy that's uh, Taylor Powell, you know, that started with the Thai Cats and and will move forward with him. But I just don't think that this coaching staff, like you mentioned, two losing seasons in a row, um, I think next year is a huge, huge season for uh, Orlando and the coaching staff, whoever's here. 
especially for Orlando. So I don't know if he's going to be willing to take the risk on a guy like Taylor Powell. I think he tries everything he, d- he can to get Bo Levi Mitchell back because that's their best situation right now. And I don't see anyone else that, out there that they could bring in besides Nathan Rourke, you know, but in a realistic sense, I don't see anyone out there that they could bring in that would be an improvement. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think the general population feeling on Steinhauer's leash being shorter is not reality. I don't think that he's in any danger of losing his job. I don't think he's in any danger of being told you, you, you know, like I saw some comments after the game. I don't remember where, but someone's like, this will be the last year that he's in the dual role. I don't necessarily agree. Like, I, I'm not saying he's great in the dual role. I'm not saying he shouldn't cede some power at the top of the food chain here. I don't, I don't think he's really in any trouble of that. I, I think if you go and watch that press conference he did uh, on Monday, I think you can get the sense that he's still very committed to this team. I, again, I know what, you know, what he says is not something you can you can buy into, but I think how he says it and and then when you watch him speak, like it's different when you hear the audio of it versus actually watch the video. You can tell when someone's kind of BSing you. And yes, yeah, some of that stuff was was BS coach stuff. But then he was talking about some other things that I just think I think there's still a passion there for him to do this job. I don't think he's going to be relieved of his coaching dues. I remember when this happened with Ken Austin and Ken Austin eventually ended up handing over the reins to June Jones. And I, and I understand that happening, but people are like, Oh, he's going to give the job to Scott Milanovic. And then he's just going to, why would a 50 year old who loves coaching and he still loves coaching. Don't get me like, don't, I don't want anyone to get it twisted. Orlando Steiner still loves to coach. Why would he hand over the coaching duties and head to the front office? If he didn't have to, like everyone's like, Oh, it's a John Huffnagel thing. John Huffnagel was in his sixties when that happened. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not it's not the same scenario. Ken Austin was the same thing. It's like, oh, he's going to hand it was it was he's going to hand the job to Orlando Steinauer. He's going to go and become the GM. And then Ken Austin, he's co- he's still coaching now. Like he's coaching, mm-hmm. he's coaching at Auburn because he loves to coach. Like I think we're so quick to push guys out of their jobs when they and I'm not saying that Orlando Steinauer is going to turn this thing around because the history of the CFL and the history of kind of pro sports in general is once the coach loses it really hard to get it back like teams can be successful and the tie cats for despite the lack of a championship have been have been fairly successful over the, i won't say very successful but fairly successful over the last 15 years but once this wheels start to fall off i can't think of a lot of examples of a team and not necessarily even bottoming out but like a, the tie cat situation where they were the highest of highs 15 and 3 multiple player awards ran rough shot over the league and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then you bounce back up. It just, it doesn't tend to happen either. You stay pretty steady and and, and you build to something great. And then you fall like Scott Milanovic, for example, started hot first year wins a great cup next year, really good team. Then it slowly started to dissipate in Toronto. I don't really recall anyone kind of building it up. It falls and then he's back for the next valley. It usually doesn't happen. He, the, the coach is usually gone. But so I don't necessarily know if he can be the guy that leads this team into the next sort of mini era of prosperity. And I think that they're pretty far behind Toronto when it comes to player acquisition. I think the Argos do a better job of identifying talent. I think that that's obvious. They've won the East Division now the last three years. Ryan Dinwiddie is apparently a much better coach than I thought he would be. 
And I think the Owls have, have, have beaten them. Like all the turmoil they had in the offseason to finish with 11 wins, I, I got to give them credit for that. And there's there was no reason why the Ticats couldn't have overtaken them, but they didn't. So they're clearly in third. The Red Blacks aren't going to stay terrible forever. I don't know if this is this brain trust is what's going to be the one that gets them over the top. But I just think that the idea that he won't be here because he's going to get pushed. I just think that that's silly. I don't think he's going to be pushed out. I don't think there's any sort of mutiny on the horizon or any sort of desire from the people high up in the Ticats organization to get rid of him. I, I think he does things the right way, like attitudinally with the people in the building. I just, I don't know, but I just don't know how this is all going to play out. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it feels mm-hmm. as if, it feels that this is, I, I think we went into last off season thinking it was a very pivotal one. I think this one's even more so because I think we've now seen this team stagnate. It's like Grey Cup first year, Grey Cup second year. You can, you can live with a down year. Okay. They went to two straight Grey Cups. They didn't win them. And then they have a down year. Okay. That happens. We, we saw Calgary, like how many times, you know what I mean? Like even great teams that are great for a long time, it, it can, it can grow a little stagnant, but then, you know, oh, they miss, but then they get like Calgary goes to the great cup 2014 misses 2015 because Edmonton just happened to be better that year. Oh, then they go in 16, 17 and 18. And then they stayed competitive. And now we're kind of seeing the tail end of that there. You know what I mean? But I, I don't know. I, what, what I, 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 I just don't know. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're falling yeah. behind the division brethren and mm-hmm. I they need to get off to better starts. Like what, what's the deal yeah. with these teams? Um, coming and out that's of the not gate, just an just Orlando trash. thing, though. No, you know what no, I mean? Like, not that's, at like, all. that's been a Ticats thing for 20 years. Like, yeah. they always get, they're one and three, they're two and five. It's just, it, aside from the 15 up. and three year, it never, yeah, exactly. They're playing playoff football by the middle of August because they're three games out of yeah. the playoff spot and they got to fight, 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 fight. Yeah, it's just like, uh, I, I think that Orlando will probably be around for a while you know if they completely go in the tank next year then maybe they make changes like if they're like a 4 and 14 team or something like that they miss the playoffs completely but i just see more mediocrity coming from this team i see 8 and 10 i see 9 and 9 and then we'll we'll keep them and and we'll just move forward with our you know our 500 or a little bit below 500 records going forward so like you said it's very tough to turn around um, you know, turn the nose up on the plane once it starts diving. And, and I'm just hoping he can do that. So, you know, we already fired the offensive coordinator. Uh, obviously he was part of the problem, but you know, do they, do they make changes in the off seasons with more coordinators? And we're going to get to that with the, with the questions in a little bit, but eventually they're going to have to point the, the finger at Orlando, right? Like eventually, maybe not next season, maybe not the season after that. But if it keeps going down, then he he can't stick around forever. No, and that's why I said that this and I, that's that I lost my train of thought. Just kind of all over the place with this because it's this season didn't go as any of us had planned. I don't need to see, even the biggest Ticat skeptic. I don't think saw this team bottoming. Uh, again, they didn't bottom out because they they were still a playoff team and all that. But mm-hmm. I, this the reason I think that this is a pivotal off season is because. You can you can deal with one down year. They go to two great cups, then they they get bounced in the first round of playoffs. Okay, for it to happen a second straight year, well now this is the team that you are. Now you are the not the free space in the bingo card, but you're you're the lambs led to slaughter in the first round of the playoffs, and you need to figure out a way. Like if this team next year 
finished if they lost in the East semifinal but finished second, you can say progress. You know what I mean? Yes, you still lose the game and that's not great and all, but they finished second, that's better. Or if they went to the they they win the division, they finish 11, you know what I mean? Like they could go 9 and 9 next year and win the East if they I mean they've done it before. Like I just don't we don't have the answers. Have, <laughs> no, I mean? don't have the and answers. They don't and they don't either. Like, they, they don't either. No. No, it's it's very it, it this is going to be a very interesting next few months as we lead into free agency, as we mm-hmm. get through free agency. It's I mean, it's gonna give us a lot of stuff to talk about. So yep. <laughs> at least at least there's that, right? Yeah, we will have content. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of content right now. There's so much to discuss to discuss about this team and it's just going to get more and more like, do they, do they dive into free agency like they did last year? Um, do they, do they stand pat with a lot of these guys? Do they, are they able to sign their, uh, top end free agents? Like this isn't as an attractive franchise as it was even last year, you know, cause there's two losing seasons in a row. So yeah, we're going to have a ton of shit to talk about Josh. All right. Speaking of questions, so we put out the call for questions and you all out there did not disappoint. You sent a ton of them in. There is no way we will get to all of them today. We are already nearly 40 minutes into this episode, which was not my plan when we decided to do just the two topics today. But you sent us a ton of questions. We will not be able to answer them all, make this podcast a reasonable length. So if we did not answer yours do not feel bad. Do not hesitate to ask questions in the future. We will eventually try to get everything in that you guys talked about. We read them all. We appreciate them all. But we just don't want this to be a two and a half hour podcast. Um, also, some of the questions touched on the same topic. So we kind of chose just one to represent all of them. Like we got a lot of questions in the quarterback situation. But I think we already addressed all of those kind of topics a little earlier. We got a lot of questions about pending free agents or player moves that the Cats should make. Personally, I think, and I think Mike, you'll agree with this. I think we're going to save those for a later show after the season. Once we kind of have a better idea of who else around the league could be available, what the tie cats have already done that list. We, the free agent list came out uh, as we record this on Tuesday earlier today from three down. There's 36 players on there. I guarantee you there won't be 36 players on there when free agents open. So we're going to have a ton of time to talk about who should come back, who shouldn't yada, yada, yada. But let's jump into the questions right now. And our first one comes from our friend Tiger Sammy, who asks a pretty simple one here, Mike. What was your favorite game of the 2023 CFL season? I assume he means Ticats game. Yeah, my favorite game of the Ticats 2023 season was the game in Edmonton because I get I got to go and watch my Ticats live and I went with my mother. We had a great time and the Tabbies won. So I know that a lot of people were thinking probably the win over Winnipeg or the win over BC. But I'm going to have to go with the win over Edmonton in Edmonton. That's not a bad one. So from from an entertainment perspective, my pick is a kind of a weird one. It's the loss to BC. Like, that was a great, fun game to watch. Like, if you were a neutral observer, that was one of the best games of the season. From a fan perspective who wants to see the team win, my pick's actually the win over BC. And it's for kind of a similar reason to yours. I was actually out in PEI, and that was the first Ticats game that I'd gotten to watch with my dad in a couple of years since he's gone out there. 
And it's the first one I'd watched with my brother since he moved out there in 2019. So we all kind of got to sit around and watch the Ticats game. Now, it sucked because it was super, super late at night, especially there's a, an, an additional hour mm-hmm. in British mm-hmm. Columbia and it, from British Columbia. To, it's a four hour difference out east. So that kind of sucked. But being able to watch with my nephew, watch with my brother, watch with my dad. First time we'd all watch the Ticats game together in almost five years. The win was was a cherry on top because it was so much fun to be like, especially going into that game was like, there's no chance they're going to win there. I think they were like 10 point underdogs. No one believed they were going to win. So to be there with my family to watch that game, get that win, that that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, so Tiger Sammy also asks, what were our biggest disappointments and biggest surprises player wise, Mike? So let's start with the disappointments. We'll we'll do bad and then we'll go to good. So who were some of the biggest disappointments you had from some of the players on the Ticats this year? <clears throat> Bo Levi Mitchell, I mean, he was mm-hmm. the guy they brought in, and for not all his fault, you know, he looked bad in his first healthy couple healthy games, and then he got injured and got injured again, but he's got to be a disappointment. Uh, Jaguar Davis, he was brought in to get pressure off the edges, obviously a very disappointing season for him. And Joel Figueroa, you know, a similar situation to Bo, he just wasn't healthy for a large part of the season. He was supposed to be that anchor at left tackle, and he just wasn't on the field. So those are the three players I went with for disappointments. So two two of the ones that I wrote down here are the same as yours, Bo and Figueroa. I mean, those were obvious. I mean, neither guy stayed healthy. Neither guy played up to their level. So uh, those are obvious there. Duke Williams was a disappointment. I mean, he hasn't played since Labor Day because he acted like a dink. So that was a little disappointment. Another one, a little bit of an underrated disappointment, Jonathan Kongbo. Remember when they traded for Jonathan Kongbo and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, they lost Kwaku Boateng to injury and then they cut him and they bring Kongbo in. It's like, oh, man, did you were can you name a single thing Jonathan Kongbo did in a tight catch uniform this year? Because I can't. So a little I, I again, I know maybe he wasn't brought in with the fanfare of some of these other guys, but Jonathan Kongbo was a really big part of that Winnipeg team when they won the Great Cup. I think it was 2019 he was on that squad, had NF, played in the NFL a bunch. Like for him to kind of come into this team and never really do much of anything was a little bit of a disappointment. What about surprises? What players surprised you the most? Were you happiest with when you were like at the end of the season? You're like, man, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I got to go with Taylor Powell, you know, a guy that was third. On the depth chart, I just didn't see we'd see him on the field. And uh, I mean, he, he wasn't even well. with the team at the start of training camp. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. People forget that. Like Jamie Newman was was the the number three quarterback. He leaves the team under mysterious circumstances that never were reported. But I mean, that's the way things go with the Thai Cats. I mean, that's the way things go in the CFL. Taylor Powell comes in. I think it was like two or three days later, and then he's the starting quarterback by midseason. Pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. So for a guy to climb the depth chart that quickly and actually perform when he got in the field was a very pleasant surprise. Um, you know, a guy like Flowers Lloyd is a surprise because we never really heard of him coming into the season. I know that you and, and others were high on him in the uh, in training camp, but for him to put up those numbers was, was just uh, very, very spectacular. And, uh, you know, I had another one. What the hell was the other one? Um Uh, yeah, I'll just go with those two because my I'm drawing a blank. But uh, Taylor right, Powell, that, that's fine. obviously, and Flowers. Oh, Legio, Legio. You know, coming into the season, Legio was it was a scary signing because he was a guy that missed field goals in Winnipeg. He wasn't very accurate, and uh, 
you know, let the team down in, in crucial moments, but he was a very pleasant surprise with his accuracy field goal kicking. I had those same three guys written down here as well. Luckily for you, I also picked a couple other guys, but Flowers Lloyd was a guy. I mean, we talk every year in the offseason, these no-name Americans, and I'd say I don't say that pejoratively, but these no-name Americans sign. And I we always are I'm always I'm always like when we talk about them, it's like look at their college pedigree, or we talk about them a little bit, and it's like we didn't know who Delvin Bro was when he first signed with the Tie Cats. And then look what Delvin Bro became. Maybe there's one of those guys. Now, I don't think Flowers Lloyd be, is a Delvin Bro type. But he certainly made an impact on the team this season. Uh, I, I second what you said about Powell. I second what you said about Mark Leggio. Two other guys. I thought Kenneth George Jr., again, another rookie guy, starts day one. I think he started every single game this year in, in the secondary. Was horrendous. Got beat like a drum in his first game and then went on to have quietly a fairly good season. And then Tyreek McAllister. He was brought in. Who was it that they let go? It was Leandre Gallimore. Do you remember when they released yes. Le- after Leandre Gallimore had the return game, return was it kick return or punt return in the preseason, and then they cut him to bring in Tyreek McAllister, and everyone lost their freaking minds about it. How can we let this guy go? He's going to go somewhere else. He's going to burn us. No offense to Gallimore. Didn't end up signing anywhere else, so nuts to that. And then Tyreek McAllister comes in and is the team's top special teams player. So... I mean, again, he did he did a lot of great stuff on offense, too. He did a lot of great stuff on special teams. I just sometimes think we're going to get to a question about fan comments later. And that one just actually sprung to head as I was t- thinking about this. The anger with which everyone was like, oh, we're, who's this McAllister guy? What end up being one of the best players in the team. So that was obviously a very, very big surprise. All right. Jared asks us. This is a bit of a, uh, a long one, but we'll get we'll get into it here. How can the Cats build an organization that has the kind of long-standing, consistent success of a franchise like the Stamps or Argos? Even when those teams have lows, they seem to bounce back to competitive status far quicker. Can I, before you answer that, can I, do we really think the Argos have long-standing, consistent success? Like, is that, I mean, in the last couple of years, sure. They've had some really bad. Yes, they win a Grey Cup every five years. The last two Grey Cup championships prior to the one they won last year, they were nine and nine. Like, are we really ready to kind of lump the Argos in with the Stampede? Like, Stampede's made the playoffs every year for the past 18 years. The Argos have been, like, they've had four and 14, three and 15 years. I, I feel as if we're almost, in a way, lumping this recent four-year run here, or three-year run here with the Argos with everything else they've done. I, I get I guess they, they fit like the bouncing back to competitive status far quicker part of the question. But I wouldn't say that they're a long-standing, consistently successful franchise, would you? No, not in the regular season, but they do win Grey Cups. Um since two thousand four. I know that they've won a shit ton more than the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um but yeah, they usually in those seasons they're hovering around five hundred. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't lump them in with the Calgary Stampeders. The Calgary Stampeders have had sustained success in the regular season, in the playoffs for 20 plus years now. They're, you know, uh, minus this year, they're a model franchise. So um, I wouldn't lump the Argonauts in with with the Calgary Stampeders. But uh, to answer the question about the Tiger Cats, it's a tough one. But a couple things I would do is. Make Orlando Steinhauer the head coach and only the head coach. And I don't know, like, this is just, like, what I would do if I had all the power and there was no pushback mm-hmm. on anything. 
Um, I would make Orlando Steiner the head coach. I yeah, because make, it's easy. It's easy to say, "Hey, Orlando, you're no longer the president yeah, of football operations." Exactly. And, oh, and exactly. because of that, you're also taking this pay cut that comes exactly. with. It's a lot easier to say that when it's hypothetical than in real life. Yes. I would do that, though. I would have one GM, one general manager who is the guy that brings in talent, um, not this three assistant manager bullshit. And um, I would just have one guy and one assistant manager like normal teams do. Um, And then I would have a VP of football operations. Like those are my three things that I would do, kind of like take away some responsibility from people and, and give it to other people. So there's not as much on Orlando's plate, right? And just have one GM. So there's one voice at the top saying, okay, we're bringing in this guy because I think he's going to fit in well, not a mishmash of four or five or 17 assistant GMs. So that's what I would do. I'm not trying to get into like a Giannis, like there is no such thing as failure rant thing here, but have the Ticats not been consistently successful for the past 15 years? 12 playoff appearances in 14 seasons. Yes, no great cup championships. I get that. That's that's frustrating. And you are ultimately you're judged on how many rings you win. I totally understand that. But they've been to the playoffs a dozen times in the last 14 seasons. They've been to four great cups. Like it's they are a successful franchise. They are a long stay. They're the most successful franchise outside the stamps in the last 15 years. Like I I were there, would there be changes I'd make? Yeah, there would be. I, I'm with you. I think I would go with a, a, an actual hierarchy, a power structure where there's one guy at the top, like so a president of football operations who has a general manager beneath him, who has a head coach beneath him. Like that's what I would do. If I'm the Ticats right now, what I'm doing is I'm waiting for Kyle Walter's contract to run out. And then the second it expires, I'm making the call and saying, how much money do you want? Come mm-hmm. here and do what you did in Winnipeg. Because Kyle Walters took over an absolute gong show of a roster and of Canadian depth in Winnipeg. And look what he's turned them into. And I don't think he's staying in Winnipeg. I think he is going somewhere else after this season. I think they're going to – Winnipeg is going to make the mistake of either A, making Wade Miller in charge of everything, or B, giving the GM duties to Mike O'Shea. And I think that will then you'll start to see, like we saw in Calgary, like we saw in Hamilton when they did the same thing, like we've seen with Chris Jones in Edmonton. You have one guy with the power, and you start to see the team not do so well. I think that, more than anything, will be the downfall of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So if I'm the Ticats, maybe you can keep Steinhauer in the VP role, but just hand those general manager duties to one person and have him just kind of be the guy that has to sign off on it at the end of the day, Steinhauer that is, and the guy that I'm doing it with is Kyle Walters. Kyle Walters knows how to build a championship organization. He's familiar with Hamilton having played here. He's familiar with Steinhauer. They were teammates together in 98 and 99. So go get Kyle Walters, give him a blank check, say how much do you need to fix this? And again, the Ticats aren't broken. This isn't a team that's devoid of talent. This isn't a team. He went to Winnipeg and they were what? They were terrible for what? Like three or four years. Like they were the worst team in the league and he built them back up. I don't think he'd have as big of a rebuild in Hamilton if he came here. So that's the one thing I would do. If if we're if we're discounting that the Ticats have been a successful franchise because they haven't won a great cup, that's fine. I understand that viewpoint. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. So if they have to change anything, go get Kyle Walters. Make him your general manager. Let him do his job. All right, Ryan from Hamilton asks, what coaching staff changes are coming? Maybe defensive coordinator, maybe. Um, 
But I don't know if any are coming, really. Like, but well, that we're would be a new offensive much... coordinator. Oh yeah, that's right. Because Scott Malevich isn't coming back. Um, no, he'll probably James. take the head coaching star, uh, spot in, in uh, Saskatchewan or whatever it may be. I think he is, and he thinks of himself as a legit head coach, and that'll probably be the case. So, yeah, we'll, we'll I mean, I'd love to, to hold on to Scott Malevich because I think he's done a pretty good job since he's slid into that role. But, yeah, you're right. There will be a new offensive coordinator and perhaps a new defensive coordinator, but I don't really see them firing Mark Washington. Yeah, like I said, there's going to be a new OC. I don't know who that's going to be, obviously. Um, it, that'll be the one interesting story for us to follow throughout the office. Because I just, whether Milanovic gets the job in Saskatchewan or not, I just don't think, I don't think he'd be, this is going to sound bad, I don't think he'd be worth the money to bring him back just as the offensive coordinator for the simple fact that you'd have to pay him a lot because he's made a lot of money in his career. He's going to ask for a lot of money. You're going to have to give him a ton, and then that's going to gut your coaching staff in other spots. Now, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. Um, defensive coordinator, there could be a change. There there really could be. I don't necessarily see it coming. Uh, I think just like after last year, we were all sitting here going, well, they're going to change their coordinators, and they didn't, and we just swallowed it like Pablum. I can see this. Again, I think they'll use the tail end of this season where they got a lot better on defense, and they did this and that, and I mean, I made all the excuses in the world for how well they played defensively, and it's like I'm part of the problem, I guess. But I don't think they'll make a change there, but that could be the only one. Maybe they change the position coach here or there. I, right. But does that really make a huge deal? I don't think it does. If the, if the question is kind of alluding to will Steinhauer be gone, I don't see it. I, the only way he's not coaching this team next year is if he, just, if he himself decides not to. You know what I mean? And I don't think he's going to do that. Again, I'll point back to his end-of-year press conference. Just the way he spoke about being the coach of this team – doesn't feel to me as if he's lost his passion to be the Ticats head coach. So I don't see him going anywhere. So new offensive coordinator, that'll give us some, some interesting things to talk about. So maybe some interesting things to dive into, especially if it's not a well-known name. Other than that, I don't necessarily think you're seeing a ton of changes on the coaching staff going into next year. All right. Moving the goalposts asks opinions on Legio, Vedvik, White, McAllister slash any returner. Does Legio get another year? What if Seth Smalls returns? Do you keep Vedvik or draft a rookie? Basically asking us to talk about anything to do with special teams. So, Mike, I think we've talked about Legio and in, in kind of our surprises there. So I don't know if we have to necessarily get into any more deep conversations about him. But what about the other special teams guys? Vedvik, the the punter, Gordon White, the long snapper, McAllister in the return game. And then the other questions I asked. So we got any opinions on those guys or uh, what do you think? Uh, Vedvik's kind of been uh, underwhelming this season. I could see a change there, bringing in a new punter. And, you know, there's a lot of punters out there, so I don't I don't really have a name for you. But otherwise, bring back Legio. I thought he's been great this year. McAllister obviously has been really good in the returns. And, uh, you know, the long snapper, I don't really pay attention to that much. But obviously, I think he's done a pretty good job because we didn't have, you know, we didn't talk about him at all. So um, I could see three of those guys coming back and maybe – Vedvik uh, isn't a Tiger Cat next year. Maybe we have a new punter. Yeah, Seth Small's not coming back. I think no. we can we can just that's not. He came back for one game, then left, never to return, never to be heard from again. He'll go into the dustbin of history as one of those guys. Like, hey, remember when we had that kicker who beat Alabama in a game and be like, what was his name again? Yeah, he's not coming back. I think Legio deserves another opportunity next year. I think he did. There was one bad game from him 
this year. He, I think it was the Edmonton game that was here where he just couldn't hit a field goal to save his life. But other than that, I thought he was reliable and excellent. And I'm with you on Bedvik, man. I, I think you find a reply. I don't think he was all that good. I don't think he really added yeah, much in the punting okay. game. Yeah, he was fine, I guess. But I would find a replacement for him. Like you said, there's there's going to be they're probably going to draft two punters in the global draft. There's going to be a number of of punters out there. I think they can find an upgrade for Bedvik. So I I wouldn't necessarily bring him back either. All right, let's get out of here with a few fun ones here. The first one's going to be Tina asks us the most ridiculous fan take of the season. What was it? I'm going to go from today or yesterday when people were were blaming Bob Young for <laughs> um, the franchise. Worst owner in franchise history. Yeah, Mike. It's just, and I can understand, you know, being frustrated that Bob Young has been here and we haven't won a championship since he's been here. But to say he's the worst owner in team history is is outrageous. It, it just is. This guy came in. And save the team. He really did. Like he came in. Whoa, in whoa, 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 Mike, or Mike, Mike. We're not. Uh-huh. We're not supposed to talk about him. We're not supposed to talk about him saving the team. That's old news. It's what have you done for me lately? According to some people that used to work in the media in Hamilton. It's mm-hmm. why do we keep bringing this up? It's not. Look, the Thai Cats would not be here if Bob Young didn't buy the team He's, in 2003. Fact. That's yes. a fact. That's a simple yes. fact. There would be no Hamilton. We would not be doing this show because this no. team wouldn't exist. They would have done nothing for us lately because there wouldn't be a team. And the bottom line is Bob Young has done. Everything in his power to try to bring a championship, to uh, bring a Grey Cup to Hamilton. It just hasn't worked out. It's not for a lack of trying. This isn't a you know Toronto Maple Leaf situation where we make so much money that it doesn't really matter how far we go in the playoffs because we're gonna you know sell out the arena every single night. Bob Young, I know he wants to to win a championship with with everything he has in his fiber and and he's trying his best so to put the blame on him is is uh is incorrect yeah that was my big one and i was probably a little bit of uh recency bias because it was just so fresh when i saw that i was like oh yeah here's the answer this might not be a fan one but everyone's saying the tie cats were stupid for wasting their money when they signed james butler i think Mm, was a ridiculous take um I'm getting a little sick and tired of sports people, you know, my colleagues in the media, like downplaying running backs and how they don't matter. Like, you you know me on this show, I always talk about I don't advocate for people to lose their jobs because these are this is how people feed their family. Guys like me who couldn't do what a James Butler does on their best day of their athletic life to say running backs don't matter and it's dumb to pay them. I, I it grosses me out in a lot of ways, yeah, like to be it. honest with you. I yes. do because it's it, you're basically saying these guys and and while it might be true that they don't matter as much in football as they used to and they're expendable and to say it is like you enjoy the product they put on the field. You can't tell me watching James Butler play or watching AJ Olette play or watching Brady Oliveira play or any of the number of running backs we've seen over the years. Mike Pringle was in attendance at the Alouettes game last week and they couldn't stop talking about it. Like worthless bomb. Yeah, but they're and but these are people that are putting their bodies on the line for entertainment and to dismiss them as replaceable and unnecessary. Right. And I know you feel the same way about me. I, I, I listened to your I listened to your rant about it uh, when you do, when you put your podski wow well, I think it was last week or the week before where you talked about it. So I'm I know you're in agreement with me on this. It just it just bothers me that people who just and again, maybe it's not fair to say this, but couldn't lace these guys' shoes are telling me 
they don't matter and you're dumb for paying them. Like, I, I don't know. Get off your high horse. Just enjoy it. Are, are they playing a, the game you love and they're entertaining? Who gives a shit if you're, if they're getting paid more than they should? I, I don't care. Right. I don't care yeah. if it, I don't care if a team's allocating resources to a position and it's stupid. Am I having fun watching him? I had a lot of fun watching James Butler play this year. I had a lot of fun watching him play last year in BC. I'm glad he got paid. I'm happy for him. And if he can continue playing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats at a high level, I hope they keep paying him. He's a fun player to watch. I don't care what position he plays. And then the other one, it was one that I just was reminded of when I was kind of going through some stuff here, is uh, when uh, the ex-radio guy from T- TSN in Hamilton said that the Ticats downgraded at middle linebacker. I mean, he's not a radio guy anymore. He's just a fan, so this is a fan take for me. The Ticats downgraded at middle linebacker when they went from Jameer Thurm- went from Jovan Santos Knox to Jameer Thurman. I mean – Thurman played in every game this year. Santos Knox was injured a bunch. Thurman was better in every statistical category and was for most of his time. Like to me, it's just, yeah. Okay. Maybe he didn't put up a hundred and something tackles, but that's not the BL end all. Thurman was better. So the idea that Ty Cats got worse at middle linebacker with Jameer Thurman in there to me was an absolutely horrendous laughable take, but I, I get the feeling you want to say something about running backs before we move on. Yeah. I just, I don't know where that comes from. Like, is it in, in numbers like analytics? Because or is it because the game has changed and it's more pass happy than it was uh, 20 years ago? Like, I don't understand this logic. Like, to me, James Butler brought a ton of value to the Hampton Tiger Cats. Um, but I'm just a stupid um, football fan, so I'm not a head coach. But I, I can just, like, can you imagine, like, saying these, these, these things and say, say you're, you're a football coach and, you're, and you're, your kid, you're, you're running back, the, the player on the team is the running back, and they know that you think – that the running back position and yourself, the running back, are useless, useless to this team. Like, I just don't, I don't understand the logic. It's funny growing up. And again, I guess, it, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the best athlete on every football team I played on played running back because you wanted the book because no one can play quarterback when you're 11 years old. I mean, no one can play quarterback when I was in high school. Yeah, you just hand up the ball. Hand off the ball and let him do his thing. So the best, the best athletes in in on any football team I ever played on played running back. So I don't. I mean, now they probably play quarterback. Um, to be honest, because they, you allow for more athleticism at the quarterback position. I, I, every time I see someone talk about running backs derogatorily, I it just it makes me. It just, I don't know. It just, it gets really, really angry, and not because I'm an ex running back or I think running backs are the be all end all, but it just it just feels gross. Like to be honest with you. You want to talk about replaceable? You know who's replaceable? Every one of us jackasses that do this, that talk about sports, either for <laughs> yeah, a living yeah. or for fun. Yeah. Any idiot yeah. can do this. This is mm-hmm. we do not have any discernible skills. Like in writing, I have the skill of I can form sentences, but anyone, I mean, I don't have any, I don't have a journalism degree. You know how I got my writing, um, like how how I built a writing resume was going to university and writing a bunch of like essays. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with writing doing that. And then I, I was like, I can talk about, I I'm semi-intelligent talking about sports. I like to write. I want to continue doing this now that I'm not in school. I put two and two together and then things took off from there. You and I sitting here shooting the shit about this. Any two idiots could do this. Like, this is not hard. Yeah. Like this is the same stuff that if you and I were sitting together watching a game, we'd say the same stuff. I talked to my dad and my brother, every NFL Sunday, me and my dad and my brother and my nephew, we zoom each other and we sit there for seven hours while the while the one o'clock and the four o'clock games are played and we talk football. And this is if we recorded it, it would sound no different than what, what it sounds like here. Like, yeah, it's not as regimented. We're not going into questions, but we're we're sitting there talking about stuff like, oh, this player did this. This player did that. Like it doesn't take a 
a rocket science to be able to now it takes some skill to be able to formulate sentences and write stuff i understand that yeah, but for the most part audiences, all the guys uh, are yeah there there are things about this that are not like easy but it comes with time we're we, it's easier than playing back running at, back it's easier than playing running back it's at a professional way easier level. Than playing running back. <laughs> i mean go listen to some of our first shows they are probably horrible in comparison to how we've grown over the near decade that we've done this go look at some of the things i wrote way back when it's probably indecipherable compared to the stuff i do now you get better with time but i'm just saying anyone who talks down about running backs in the media any idiot can do your job and i'm saying that as one of those idiots so get off your high horse when it comes like to that. stuff are you enjoying watching the games just to, just watch. this is the thing media sometimes forgets that because i don't like to forget this i the reason i'm into this the reason i do this is i was a fan i am a fan you mm-hmm. know what i mean like I want to watch exciting things. I don't care if it's a running back or a defensive back or like, I don't care about that. I don't care about money and television ratings and attendance. I just want to watch an entertaining product. And this year, one of the most entertaining players that I got to watch on a weekly basis was James Butler. He happened to play running back. So everyone who wants to talk down about running backs pound sand, as far as I'm concerned. All right, moving on. Tiger Sammy asks, is it time to retire the made in the hammer jerseys? I'm not a huge fan of them. I liked them when they first came out, but I don't know. They're just kind of bland to me. It's um, they're really bland without numbers on them. Like it's a gray T-shirt yeah, that says hammer. Yeah. Like it's or I guess it I says be, hammer. I wouldn't be upset if they got rid of them. To be honest, I it's like it's, it's just it's a whatever from me. Yeah. Uh, the reason Sammy asked this is he's very much an anti-made in the hammer jersey guy thinks they're the worst jerseys in team history i don't necessarily think i agree with that those hamilton wildcat ones they wore in 2013 i think were worse than these here's the thing with jerseys to me like i'm not a big i don't buy jerseys anymore player movement i can't justify the expense i'm teams change jerseys too much in sports basketball is mm-hmm. the worst offender of this the worst. than any other sports oh. they're the oh. absolute worst and the thing that kills me too like we saw in the nfl recently tennessee titans wore the old houston oilers outfits Beautiful. seahawks went back to their throwbacks um tampa bay wore the creamsicles i remember when those were their uniforms now the oilers ones were different the Oilers ones were always awesome those houston yes. oilers, like i think of warren moon wearing those jerseys and those colors mm-hmm. just chef's kisses loved it those creamsicle bucks jerseys, people thought that they were ludicrous when they wore them <laughs> back in the day before they changed them. Same with those Seahawks ones. People hated how they looked. So nostalgia glasses and a lot of people who maybe weren't around when those things were the uniforms they wore probably are like, oh, these things are so cool. No one liked them back then. Don't let people fool you. I'm not saying the team can't get new jerseys. I'm not saying that. I just just give me the standard. If you don't like that, here's the thing. You don't like the third jerseys. Don't worry about them you know what i mean like they have their yeah. whites they have their blacks they have these i just think in in, in sports and and like i said basketballs were, there's just too many different jersey combinations it's like back back i hate to say it but back in my day you had a road team you had a road jersey you had a home jersey maybe you had an alternate jersey i don't know but there's just too many damn jerseys nowadays yeah like if they're gonna wear them once in the season whatever that's fine i'm not gonna Put a big fuss about it. I know the Tiger Sammy's a big fan of those yellow, all yellow jerseys uh, that they wore in the early to mid 2000s, or maybe it was the yep. mid or it was the early 2010s. I have one of those. I didn't like those either. 
Um, I like the one they have now or like the throwback ones from the 70s or the 80s. But uh, other than that, I, I'm indifferent. All right. Jim Martin asks, why do the Ticats always give us hope before crushing it? Why do we let this team keep hurting us like this? <laughs> and what piece of future Ticats news will snap me out of these doldrums and get me hyped? And hyped was in all caps for next season. So, Mike, get help Jim out here. I don't know. I Sometimes I think it's because of my past sins. Um, but <laughs> no, no, I kid. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, Jim, I, I'm with you. It's it's an emotional roller coaster ride being a fan of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I don't know why it is that way, but I'm sure if you asked a lot of fandoms throughout sports, they'd tell you the exact same thing. So it, it's just the way that it goes. Hopefully one day we will reach the mountaintop. But yes, they have disappointed us uh, quite a bit, you know, just because they've given us, like like you said in the in the, in the question, there's been high points of hope, like that 15 and three season. We were that was supposed to be the year, and then we laid an egg in the Grey Cup, and um, we played an egg in, in several Grey Cups, and we've been close in several Grey Cups where it was just a, you know, a heartbreaking ending. So I don't have the answer for you, Jim, but I feel your pain. So my sports fandom, like team wise, is like a camel. Like you've ever heard, like a camel is a horse drawn by a committee. So like my, because mine's so disparate. So in other sports, I cheer for the San Francisco 49ers who haven't won a Super Bowl since I was 13 years old. Uh, I cheer for the New York Knicks in basketball because I clearly hate myself. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was a hockey fan, and this is going to probably annoy a lot of people out there. I did cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I love Doug Gilmore. I love Matt Sundin. Uh, I hate Doug Gilmore with his his cow legs. I'm not I'm not a hockey person anymore. I still kind of tangentially like, oh, if the Leafs do well, like I was happy the Leafs won a playoff series last year. I'm a little bit of a Buffalo Sabres fan just because they're so down. I like I almost like cheer for the downtrodden people. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, Chicago Cubs fan in baseball. They did win a World Series in 2016, but for the most of my adult life, they've just they've been cursed. For the most of my childhood, they were cursed as well. Oh yeah. And then, of course, there's the Ticats. And then in, in U.S. college football, it's Notre Dame. In Canadian college football, it's U of T. But U of T's, I've adopted them because that's where I went to school. They just stink. But I I don't know. I, I think maybe I just love things that hurt me. I don't I, – I, I can't tell you. The, it's part of being a fan, though. And I think – because here – I can't say I guarantee it, but I feel like I can guarantee it. They're going to win a championship at some point, whether it's 30 years from now, 15 years from now, or next season, they're going to finally win a gray cup again in our lifetimes. There's only, it's, this is not a Maple Leaf situation where they haven't won for 60 something years or whatever, because there's 30 something teams in the NHL. There's nine teams. Maybe they get to 10. Maybe they don't. That's not for now to discuss, but they're going to mathematics suggests at some point it's all going to fall together and they're finally going to win. And we're going to be elated with that happening. As for the piece of future Ticats news, it'll snap you out of your doldrums, Jim. It'll be a player signing. It'll be yep. when they hire an offensive coordinator. It'll be, it, 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 this is the beauty of sports is that yes, we're upset. Now we're sad. Now, man, we're frustrated and we want everything changed. 
and then they'll make a few tweaks here and there. And next May, we'll be sitting here talking about going into the season. What do we think? And what are Mike and I going to do? We're going to predict the Cats to win the Grey Cup. It's just the way it's going to be. That's mm-hmm. what being a fan is all about. That's the fun of being a fan is that there's always another season. So it'll be a signing. It'll be a hiring. It'll be something. And it'll happen before Christmas. And we'll be all back on the train talking about how so-and-so's coming to town or so-and-so's going to be calling plays for the offense and we're going to win a championship. That's how it's always going to be. All right. Lastly here, Mike, we're going to take us out here on a positive note. Corey Allen asks, when and how did you become a Ticat fan? What is your fondest memory of Iverwind stadium and who's your all time favorite tiger cat? Well, I became a fan of the tiger cats basically when I came out of the womb. Um, you know, there's a there's a picture of me on Grey Cup Sunday in 1986. I was one years old, and I had a, a little Thai cat jersey on. So I didn't choose the Thai cats. The Thai cats chose me. So that's when I became a fan. Um, my favorite memory at Iverwind Stadium is 1998 East Final, the Aussie kick. We've talked about it many times, but that that just it just what it is. Like that was my favorite sporting event that I ever attended. Um, and then what was the last one? All-time favorite tie cat. We've talked about this uh, as well. Yes. Um, you know, Darren Flutie's up there, but I'm going to have to go with uh, Earl the Pearl. Earl Winfield was the first player that I really idolized with the tie cats, so I'm going to have to go with him. You actually caught me off guard with that. I thought you were going to say Rob Hitchcock. They're up there. I mean, Robbie and, and Darren Flutie up there, but my the first guy that I really, maybe it was because he was the only guy <laughs> on the team. Yeah. You know, in the early 90s that actually, you know, was a star who actually played well on the field. But, you know, Earl Winfield was just, he was larger than life. He was like the Ticat guy. And uh, uh, that's who <clears throat> that's who I'm going to pick. So my route to Ticats fandom is similar to yours, but I was a little bit older. Like, I remember when I decided to be a fan, it was going to my first game, 97 or 87, 88, 89, sometime in there. My dad took me to a game against the BC Lions. My dad was a type, my, despite my dad, my dad was born and grew up in Scarborough, never cheered for any Toronto teams. Even in the CFL back then, he cheered for the Ticats, even when he was, even when he was a young kid. So like, he was always a Ticats fan. Even though he lived in Toronto, he never forced it on me. He never really forced sports on me. Like football became a thing that I watched because my dad said that I, and this is a story he tells, like we were throwing a ball in my uncle's living room and I, he had like a little mini football and I was, you know, a couple of years old, threw it back to him. It was like a perfect spiral. And he was like, oh, and I guess that that like, oh my God, it made my dad like excited about something. And like, that's oh, well, he, if he did, you know, like when you're a kid, it's like, I made someone laugh. So you want to continue to make him laugh. Sort mm-hmm. of the same thing. So then. I finally did like it was around that time. Finally decided to get into sports. Never forced it on me. Obviously, the Thai Cats were the easy game to go to because they were right down the road. So takes me to a game. I've obviously been hooked ever since. My fondest memory of Iverwind is the same as yours, man. Like it's that East Final, but I knew you were going to answer with that one. So I got a couple more. The 09 East Semi. I know we lost the game to BC, but to see. Hamilton after all those bad years embraced this team and there was like 28,000 people there. I I was, I was in attendance, but I've watched the highlights back when they come back to tie the game. I think it's a touchdown to Dave Stalla. It's a two point convert from Kevin Glenn to Mark McDaniel. I can still hear 
Rod Black's call in my head, having seen the highlights, like the Hamilton Tiger Cats have come back to tie. It seems so like, okay, they came back to tie, but they ended up losing the game. But just for the city to kind of, that was the start of the rejuvenation of this franchise. And they've been kind of back in the public consciousness ever since. And then the other one was in 04. I went to a game. I wasn't living in Hamilton. I had moved to Toronto, but I came back. Me, my dad, and my brother went to a game against the Ottawa uh, Renegades. And it was 04. It was a year after they go 1-13. and They beat the Renegades in overtime and clinch a playoff spot. So that was a really, a really nice one. I got to a bunch of games with my dad and my brother, but like that one being sort of the after such a terrible year, the worst year any team's had in CFL history to then make the playoffs, to clinch that playoff spot in overtime at home. Really good feeling. And then the last one, the final game, because it was saying goodbye to what was essentially our football home for our entire lives. And being there with all the celebrations and all the old players coming back and just, I sometimes, every time I go to Tim Hortons Field, I, I look and I was like, man, it just it feels like Iverwin was never there, but in our hearts and in our minds, we'll always remember that that building as as decrepit as it was. I mean, I played football games there in high school. I hurt my, I got a concussion there. Uh, I remember getting hit and knocking my head on the what was it was turf, but it was felt like concrete. Seeing stars, but back then it's like, oh, you got a concussion, you kind of just shake it off, get back on the field. But yeah, just being there for that last game and all the history involved and what that stadium had, it was just it was really nice. So those are those are kind of my like all answers to that one it's not just one there's there's a bunch of different ones and then my favorite all-time tie cat i would have said like you earl winfield earl winfield would have he was like you he's my first favorite player i might have been at the game the labor day game that he had the the you know earl's big night three touchdowns and whatever i'm not sure if i was there i can't i can't say for certain i know that that was in like that 87 to 89 window when that happened so I know that that was around the time that I had gotten into it. I know we went to a couple games and Labor Day was a game that my dad would always take me to. So I, it's possible I was there, but even if I wasn't, he was so great. But in the last few years, Simone Lawrence has really kind of rocketed up the chart. Just seeing how he's embraced the city. Like he's not a Canadian. He's not a Hamilton guy. Like, He's from Philadelphia. He went to the University of Minnesota. He didn't start his career here. He started in Edmonton, but he came here. He embraced the city. The city embraced him. I think we talked about, maybe we talked about, I don't recall. He goes, oh no, I didn't talk. I actually talked about it with Bill Kelly on his podcast the last time I was on there. Simone goes to the home of a Ticats fan who is dying and spends a day with him. I don't know if you saw on social media, but he's put together like a hundred gift baskets that he's with it with merchandise that he's giving away to fans. Like he gets it. I, I know that there's a lot of like hate around Simone across the league, but you see these things and it, it's go, it, you go, that's why people in this community will go to war for him because he understands what this team means to this city and what he is kind of the face of the last decade of Ticats football means. I've said it a lot. He's this generation's Angela Mosca. And if he chooses to stick around, I know he's a free agent, whether he stays or goes, I don't know if that's what's going to happen there. But if after his playing days are over and he chooses to stick around with this community, he's going to be that living legend that we all had. Like we never saw Mosca play, but we all knew what he meant to this city. If Simone Lawrence ends up being 
he can be that guy if he chooses to stay here. He's already building that legacy now. So I think I'm going to say Simone Lawrence because as much as Earl, as great as Earl was on the field, I don't remember him. Again, I was a lot younger too. So I don't, I don't, I wasn't as in tune and it wasn't, you know, it was on social media and it was a different world, but what Simone's meant to this community and what he's done for this community, in my opinion, is second. He, he, he's second to none as far as Ty Cats go. No one has done it in to the level that, that he has for this team. So I think he's now my all-time favorite Tiger Cat. And that's not something I think I would have said six months ago, a year ago, but you see it now and just what he what he does and what he means to the city. It's it's kind of undeniable that he's he's one of the greatest to ever put on that uniform. Yeah, he just he know he gets it and he there's a lot of pride in being a tiger cat with him. There's a lot of pride in the city of Hamilton for him. You know, it's just it's just nice to see a player who gives back, you know, a, a ton. You know, he, a lot of players give back in the city and yep. and they do a lot of work. But but this guy goes over the top. Like he 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 like you mentioned, like the gift. Like who does that? Makes a bunch of gift bags for the fans. He's always out in the community. Like you said, he's spending a day a day with a, Mike, a dying he, he, fan. He hit like, he hit me up. Uh, and this is a this is a simple story from myself. He hits me up two years ago. Um, I defended him a lot, especially against the, the accusation, like the thug stuff from, from Rod Peterson and the coded language and all that, uh, following that, that hit on, on Zach Kolaris. And I defended Simone and we don't have a relationship really. Um, he reached out to me. He was going to the home opener for forge in 2021. He hits me up and is like, Hey man, love what you do. Love what you've done for me. Where are you sitting? I'm going to come bring a beer. And he comes over. He brought Alton Darby with him. I put a picture of it on. I, I don't know if I put it on Twitter or Instagram, but I put it up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he just comes and hangs out with a fan. He spent about 10 minutes with me. We talked. It was it was great. Like, he doesn't have to do those things, but he chooses to. And that's what makes him the best, in, in my opinion. And, and like I said, that's why people in the city will, will, go, will go through a wall for him because of what th- those, those types of things that he does that go above and beyond – what anyone ever expects them to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was privileged enough to give Simone Lawrence a hundred dollars after he kicked my ass in Madden. So <laughs> that's in Madden. Yes. And that's even, uh, that, even that who, yes. what superstar who athlete plays fans in video games. And if my microphone wasn't all messed up, we would have had a conversation. So, um, yeah, there's just not enough good things you can say about Simone Lawrence. If you're a tie cat fan, cause you know, that he's a good person. He's a solid dude. And like, you just don't know that with a lot of, you know, athletes or celebrities, but you can tell Simone Lawrence has a genuine good heart. And that's, yeah. uh, that's tremendous. All right. So I guess that's, you know, getting all lovey dovey at the end, probably a pretty good way to, to wrap this bad boy up. We've also gone nearly 90 minutes. So it's been a long one today. Hope you enjoyed kind of our answers to your questions. Again, apologies for not getting to all of them. We would have been here for hours had we done that, but we'll probably do another mailbag in a, maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll end the year with a mailbag. We'll start the year with a mailbag. And of course there's, there's going to be news all year. We're kind of done for the season. No, Ty cats are out of it. 
but as you know, there's always going to be news. So I don't know when we'll be back next, Mike. I'm not, we, we haven't pinned anything down. We're still going to go strong on Patreon. Uh, I don't know what you're deciding to do with your show, Mike, but I just posted a new episode of mine today. I'm probably going to go try to do at least one a week, but we'll see how that goes. We hope that everyone who's over there enjoys what we're doing and will continue to, to follow us along during the off season here. Uh, and for anyone who hasn't signed up, come sign up. All the old stuff's still there. You can kind of listen to us sound like idiots when we predicted a bunch of things that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure when the show will be back. Maybe post gray cup, we'll come back here, talk about the cup, see maybe some tie cats news. If then yep. of course, you know, something will happen and we'll have to come back on here and talk about it. Cause that's the way tie cats news rolls. But, uh, you know, despite the disappointing season from the team, Mike, this was a, a fun year. We did the live shows. We, we opened our Patreon page, got a lot of interaction with fans I think this has been the best year. I this is the most fun I've most years we we get to the end of the season and I'm like I'm kind of glad it's over because then I can get back to a little bit more of a normal life. This year I'm I'm a little sad because I had such a good time doing everything this year with you. I think we put out some of the best shows we've had ever. Um so I'm a little bummed that the year is ending, but it, it'll be good to get take a little break and refresh for when the craziness of coaching hirings and free agent signings. And the yep. next thing you know, as I say every year, we're going to blink. It's going to be May and training camp's going to be here. And just like Jim, we're going to be ready to get our hearts broken all over again, aren't we? Yes, we are. And some of the funnest shows come in the off season because there's so much speculation and there's so much to talk about with this team and there's hope in the air and all that stuff. So we will be back probably after the great cup. And like Gosh said, we're going to keep it rolling on Patreon. I will Continue to do my show as well. Uh, try to figure out how we can get some content rolling. But uh, thanks for everyone who who came and joined Patreon this year with us. Um, and thanks for everyone who listens to the podcast on a regular basis. We really appreciate it. And uh, like you said, it was a very, very fun year. All right. I echo those sentiments as well, Mike. So for the final time for the Ticats 2023 season, this has been Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.